Well, you could be auditioning for NPR. Mm. I mean, I know that they're always looking for uh, talented individuals. NPR gets criticized for vocal fry, too. Yeah, but that that's what I'm saying is you would belong there. Oh, <laughs> yeah, You would fit true. in. It would be part of the... Me uh, and Ira. Yeah. Me and Ira Glass. You guys would love each other so much, and then you'd totally forget about me. Or just be like, uh, <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> 45 minutes. Uh. Uh. But, but alternating, of course. Right, of course. So you do it. Uh, uh, you know, just picking up, picking up where, where we left off. He does off. Yeah, do yeah. that, like when he's, <laughs> like when he's talking to someone, like naturally, like doing an interview. It is a lot of that, but I think that's just the way his voice is. Yeah, some people can't help it, but for a lot of us who who want to try to do the most professional thing possible, not that Ira isn't professional, but we have this idea, this ideal way of sounding mm-hmm. that we all have to meet I supposedly just, just think of like voice class like yeah pull yeah. the string there's a string from your butthole to the ceiling <laughs> the top of your head and yeah it's got to go somewhere up there and you got to pull it and you pull it right and you set up and you voice they it did that in choir too like you have to reach over the note yeah don't go up to the mm-hmm. note so so what part like how is that attached to the butthole that's really all it's i've wanted not to the know the butthole it's the base of the spine to the top of the head that was how it was that's how it's explained in dance that's how it's explained in voice that's how it's explained in yoga okay and the base okay. of the what you know your coccyx your coccyx coccyx to the top of your head there's that line well fair enough fair enough enough about that you want to get the show started okay Holy shit. We are back. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us on, I, I suppose this would be episode 17 of Our Kids Asleep. As you may have noticed, uh, we're kind of skipping an episode, but not. We have it in the can. Yeah. In the future, from today, from when we're recording this, there will be two episodes coming, That's right. coming your way. Things just kind of fell out of whack, and I don't know if that ever happens to you guys or if you guys have your life put together. <laughs> but every now and then when, when a little wrench in, you know, goes into the machinery, it tends to skew all kinds of stuff and the planning goes out the window. So that's kind of what happened this last week. We did record an episode, but it's almost like it, I could never find time to finish it mm-hmm. or to edit the thing. So I apologize, but this week you guys are getting two episodes, which I think will be an awesome, awesome treat. The wrench in our week, well, there was a couple of wrenches, but the big <laughs> wrench was me being out of town. Yeah. Uh, which is why we recorded the po- the last podcast a day yeah. early. I saw you from the plane chucking wrenches <laughs> as you were flying yep. away from Wyoming. Yep. And Just it was quite a sight. Flying away from my troubles. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying your trouble. Just I'm enough. Generally, the I'm troubles to of deal life. With. <laughs> um, yeah, so I went to Iowa. I mentioned that on the previous podcast that I, that's where I was going. You right. guys haven't heard that yet, actually, now that I... This it's, is it's weird, a, talking to, like, the future people listening to this. <laughs> I'm, I don't really know how to... Anyway. Well, well, dis- disregard the future. Just, okay. just be so present. The, as of now... It's a good I'm, way of living. I'm back from my trip to Iowa to visit my best friend and her uh, boyfriend. And we had an awesome weekend. We did a whole lot of nothing. Which is the way it should be on it a vacation. It was amazing. An ideal vacation should consist of jack shit. Yeah, it was amazing. We we did do, like, because my trip was over Mother's Day, so we went to, like, Austin's family's house and mm-hmm. hung out there and had dinner and 
hung friends out. of the show, Austin and Samantha. Yeah. They should come on sometime. Of course. So we're going to be able to talk to them about all kinds of technology. I, I know Austin could be a correspondent on that. He could. That department. technology correspondent. Uh, and also Samantha could talk about like witchcraft or possibly. <laughs> yeah. She could talk about lots of stuff. <laughs> no, she's a very knowledgeable um, lady. Person. But yeah, I uh, that was a fun, fun weekend. I flew back home on Tuesday evening. Um, and for those of you who don't know, flying uh, into Denver, <laughs> when you have a connection to make and you have half an hour to make that connection, when you're, someone is occupying your gate that you're not, you're supposed to be parked in, <laughs> uh, delays things. I had to haul ass from the gate. Yeah. It, it seemed like everything went wrong that was supposed to... At the airport. Yeah, it was yeah. rough. But I made it. They held the plane for me. This, so this, I was going to say, this sounds like a typical, like the, the Louis C.K. joke with the, uh, <laughs> you know, where you had like this first world problem, but it, had, it was. The- we had to wait 45 minutes on the tarmac. <laughs> and you were just completely, completely horrified. Yeah. I hope you sue them. I mean, I'm, I'm ready for some cash. Mm-hmm. So think a about of, it. A lot of pain and suffering on yeah. the 15 minutes we had to wait on the plane. And you know what? Denver has the cash mm. because of the influx of all that uh, that weed money. Mm, true. Consider that. Very for true. your family, you know, we got to take care of some college for our chunk. Something to think so, about. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something to consider. But we're going to talk about three things today. And one of those things is not going to be the abortion bill in Alabama because fuck that shit. Yeah. I just wanted to get this off my chest real quick before we move on to something a little bit lighter. I cannot conceive that in the 21st century, we're still dealing with this shit where it's so backwards that the the people in power are so interested in promoting or propagating their own power and agenda that they disregard human lives, mm-hmm. actual human lives in this world. Mm-hmm. It's sickening. And I hope to whatever is up there, that they receive their due punishment. Mm. And I'm not talking about those people who need an abortion. I'm talking about the politicians who are so ass backwards that they're putting this kind of legislation into into our country. Yeah. That's fucked up. There's, I, I could, there could literally be an entire episode yes, on this. But, that's <laughs> um, this comes down, this has nothing to do with life. It has nothing to do with unborn children. That's a that's a ruse. Okay, this mm. is about power. That's right. This is about exercising power over women, and this is how yes. they do it. They take away our rights to our own bodies. They take away what's next? Our right to vote. I mean, it's a yeah. slippery slope. And there, there's just a lot of issues with with this legislation and. More haunting is the fact that they they do have the means to fight it all the way to the Supreme Court. They do want to want to challenge Roe v. Wade, and they want to overturn that. Yeah, that is the biggest danger because then you're you're setting you're setting us back hundreds of years. We're back in the Middle Ages again. So Alabama's heartbeat bill, quote unquote, was not the only one that was passed this week. Missouri also passed a heartbeat bill. Hmm. Um, Ohio passed one not long ago, not long ago. And and again, it is a tactical political move. It's tactical. It has nothing to do with morals. It has nothing to do with any of that. It is to oppress those who are most in need of this kind of assistance. Yeah, that's another thing. This stuff does not apply to rich conservative people. Oh, of course not. Rich conservative people will always be able to get an abortion. Yes. And keep this in mind, folks. 
the rules that are being put in place by our politicians, by the people who got elected into office, those are rules that they will never have to fulfill themselves. Nope. Those are rules that they will never have to see through because those rules are not ones that they operate under. Nope. Okay. The the gentleman who, who was uh, sponsoring one of these abortion bills just had to step down. Why? Because he tried to convince his mistress, not his wife, his mistress to get an abortion. So it's never been about morality. It's no. never been about doing the right thing or caring for a quote unquote human life. This is a power move, folks. And I don't want to, I don't want to imply that the people, regular people who, you know, espouse Christian beliefs and maybe do sincerely believe that they are saving an unborn child's life. That's not what I'm talking about. Exactly. I'm talking about legislators, people with power, who have the power to make these laws manifest. That's right. They don't give a shit about that child. Yeah. Consider the fact that this is not something that should be put in place because because one side is right and one side is wrong. My biggest thing about this, and this is just the full Wyoming part of who I am at this point speaking. Remember this and consider this, whether you're on the right or the left, it is none of our goddamn business what a woman chooses to do with her own body. And let's leave it at that. Yep. So I think we've covered enough and I might rate enough that we can move on to the next topic. So we're going to talk about three things for you folks tonight. One of them is going to be something light. One of them is going to be something slightly serious and we're going to go back in time to a much sweeter, happier time because we, we need a little bit of that. Do you want to throw back first or do you want to start in the present first? Let's start in the present and go back to a, a nicer, fancier time. Okay. What do you think? So present day stuff, happy things <laughs> that we want to talk about is the Hulu show Rami. The Hulu show Rami follows a young Muslim man named Rami. Where do they live? New Jersey. Yeah, and they I was gonna in, I was gonna look up the uh, the they, Wikipedia. On they it live so that- in they live in New Jersey, and he's twenty seven. He's a young millennial. He's trying to right. figure out his life, like most people his age, mm-hmm. trying to navigate the waters of dating, of not feeling like a good Muslim, of dealing with his parents, dealing with the dynamics of him of him between his parents and himself, and his parents and his sister. Um, who was treated very differently from the way they treat him. And I think it's hilarious. We we should have probably, we may have to come back and do a recap on the show with, with Brenda, my yeah, sister, because I, I she's watching the show. Oh, and she is? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. And there's some parallels, I think, with Pen15, mm. with, uh, with Maya's character. Yeah. But in this aspect, there were some things that, while they, they were kind of subtle with, with Maya, they were laid out front and center. In, in the show Rami that I think it would be interesting if we have uh, Bean Chevrenda come along and uh, and talk to us for a little bit. But I think what Brenda would have to say about uh, girls being treated differently in, yeah, in yeah. families like this would be interesting to hear. Yeah, but it's it's been a really remarkable show. It's a really great thing that they're doing. Hulu is is putting together this kind of content for for a millennial audience and a newer audience that is very much willing to discover more about about other cultures and and those who are different than themselves. And again, it's not propaganda. It's it's just a genuine, legit story. 
the furnace. You can hear the, for- can the hear furnace. The furnace. I can't it. talk right now. I'm Jesus. Gonna sh- I'm going to shut it off. Okay. We're going to take a little break. We're going to shut off the furnace because uh, our studio, you know, it tends to get a little hot. And so we have to, we have to, <laughs> we're in our fucking Cover. kitchen. Who are we kidding? <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> Hopefully it'll click off soon. Yeah. No worries. I'm going to take a drinking break okay. while we wait. Um, I can talk while you drink. <laughs> it's okay. Oh, just it's nice to have this type of content for young millennial audiences. So yeah, Rami, again, you you start you you're scrolling through Hulu, right? And you see something that you don't think will appeal to you, but inevitably they do the thing where they reel you in with a preview. And you started watching it before I did. I, I just kind of came in, but it was a kind of show that I would just kind of keep scrolling past and it it tended to, I don't know. It, it just felt like I I wasn't going to be interested, and and that tends to be my my default setting on a lot of the shows that we watch. I just don't feel like I have the time, or I want to invest in anything. Period. But that show really, uh, of course, they always win me over. Yeah. Yeah. I give in to online marketing pretty easily. I think because I <laughs> they marketed Rami pretty heavily to me. In, in my Instagram feed and my Facebook feed, maybe oh, yeah. either because of my age, probably because of my age. I think so. Um, and and so I knew of it. I'd watched the trailer online. And I was like, oh, that looks like it might be kind of good. And obviously, they put that at like the top of your feed because it's a new, you know, original content for Hulu. Yeah. And um, yeah, I just decided one night to give it a try. It's nice because those Hulu series, you know, they're never more than 10 episodes. Mm-hmm. They're rarely longer than 30 or 45 minutes each. Yeah. So it doesn't feel as intimidating to start Rami when there's only, you know, there's one season, 10 episodes, you know, right. than starting like Game of Thrones, which is like eight seasons. Yeah. And that's, that's a fucking, that's a load of, of content coming at you. And I'm still of the opinion that shows need to have an ending and you need to see the ending. You need to know that it's going to be a beginning, middle and end because the longer you draw the shit out, the more catastrophic the letdown will be. Yeah. And obviously, uh, I'm not a big fan of Game of Thrones, or I haven't really started it. I'm I'm pretty uh, unbiased and, and indifferent about it right now. But that's sort of what they're saying at this time, that the show is really kind of falling apart at the seams because it's too much. It's too big at this time. Not that you can't be adventurous or, or, uh, or go into re- these really deep explorations of something, but the fact of the matter is, is that we're not built to to have these long drawn out things coming at us. I mean, Rami is is perfect because it's a long movie. It's an epic tale mm-hmm. still. But you're doing it in 10 episodes mm-hmm. and you can do it in several sittings. I'm wondering if that's why you're just saying like Game of Thrones for instance is falling apart at the seams. I'm wondering if that's why the public opinion seems to turn so quickly when these shows are about to end is be- just because people well, aren't people are not willing to suspend their disbelief for that long. Exactly. It's like literally like we've, exactly. we've met our threshold. Because We're not buying this anymore. Because the magic expires. Yeah. As soon as you set it up, you have a finite amount of time where you can really pay it off. So the longer you keep it going, it's it's the office syndrome. Yeah. It's Parks and Rec. Yeah. It's it's the sort of thing that should have ended a long time ago. But, who's, but whose fault is that? Well, it's, it's, it's never the people it's making the, ratings. the show. It's, it's the ratings. It's the studios that right. push for it to go longer. Yeah. Because know. it's a numbers-based system. Yeah. 
they see they see look at these ratings on here or look at how much money it made let's do something just like it mm-hmm. and i i just think i feel that maybe i don't have the patience for it anymore either but i'm very very happy to see shows like that like rami yeah. and pen 15 or love on netflix mm-hmm. and we should probably talk about that one down one, the yeah. road because you you see that there there's a progression there are things to overcome but you know that it'll come to an end and mm-hmm. there's some kind of comfort and somewhere in the back of your mind you're telling yourself listen you just got to see it through and then once you know what happens then you can go about your day mm-hmm. that's in my I opinion the storytelling of, of it i think when i i have mixed feelings and i bet a lot of people do have mixed feelings when they see the announcement of the next season of a of a show that they love but they but the the, pe- the announcement also includes the fact that it is the last season. This will yeah. the next season is coming, but this will be the final season. Right. So at the same time, you're feeling excited about that season coming out, maybe a little bit sad that it's ending. But I think in addition to that sadness that a show is ending, there's a little bit of relief mm-hmm. to know that you're going to get closure in a way that they are deciding, not in a way that's being decided for them by mm-hmm. the people making the show. Mm-hmm. So, like with love, when they announced the third season was coming out, yeah. they said, "This is it. This is going to be. We're going to wrap this up." And I love that so much. Yeah, I love it when there is a plan in place, even if they don't have a fucking plan. Just tell us this is going to be the last season, and that's it. Yeah, that's why I can't stand fucking shows like The Big Bang Theory mm-hmm. that went on for like twenty years, or How I Met Your Mother, mm-hmm. which we did watch for a time, mm-hmm. right? But. Again, but we petered it, out. Yeah, it was part of the same syndrome where you you were invested for three seasons at most, and then you're like, "Fucking, you know, just just get together already, mm-hmm. figure it out." Yeah, you know, life's not that complicated. You can't will they, won't they for <laughs> ten seasons? Yeah, exactly. It's frustrating, and it's exactly it's not going to hold viewers. And that's why I've never been a fan of the uh, just average sitcoms because it's too much. They're yeah. asking for too much investment. Yeah, from well, it's from the people. moonlighting thing. You know, what was that Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepherd? Like, what was that? They will. Oh yeah, oh, that's okay, like yeah. that's like the the benchmark for like sitcoms. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. they will, they won't, they for too long. Right. You know, like in the office when Jim and Pam get together, like, well, that's it the, was just like a steady decline from there. You yeah, know, it's <laughs> the tension of the show and it's just completely eroded. Yeah, yeah. Rami coming back to it. Um, it's a great show and they oh. deal with a lot of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a person, as a white person that is not Muslim and has no contact with Muslim people because of where we live, mm-hmm. um, it's all very new to me. And it's so invaluable to me to see normal Muslim people doing normal things. Yeah, because we have no because access to it. We have no access to it. And so seeing a family just going about their lives. You know, with that added difference of the religion being different, like unfamiliar. Yeah. That's really the only difference. You know, there's the same sort of weird dynamics that can happen in a family. And, um, you know, a lot of it is, you know, a lot of the show is Rami dealing with his feelings of not feeling like a good Muslim or his sister dealing with, you know, her because she's a girl feeling like she's being treated differently within her own family. Even. Yeah. And and what you're getting at is I imagine these are all relatable things. Yeah. If you take away the the allure of say just the people, the culture, these are these are pursuits that we all want. Yeah. Right? So we can relate to them on on that level, but 
I, I love what you're saying that it is invaluable for people like us because we don't know very much about it because of our upbringing, because mm -hmm. of where we were raised. We're not, you know, yes, we did spend some time in Seattle, but it wasn't enough. Right. You know, we need that kind of exposure for, for these folks out here in the Rockies and the Midwest, those who have no real understanding of other cultures just because of, of the isolation yeah. of the place. Lack of diversity. And I think that Rami did a great job at just kind of bringing you into that world without like, without making it feel like, like it was this exotic thing. Yeah. They were just going about their day and it, it's a very low key, unassuming, but really inviting. And of course, you know, the characters are, are just tremendous. You know, they're so well written. Yeah. And some of that dialogue is, is just very sparse and, and very, I don't know. It's just, it's a well written show. Yeah. And the pursuits are really worth worth following with the main main people yeah. so i was really really happy with that show yeah um but, but the uncle the uncle is a, yeah. just fucking crazy he's like, a crazy character yeah but it, it illustrates just some of those those things that you see it in american culture you see people who cling to their their beliefs like that and their ignorance like that in a way you see that in mexican culture you know like i have that's that's why I think it's like you have those moments of extreme relatability because I've seen or heard some of my relatives talk like that. Mm -hmm. You know, not about, you know, the Jews or whatever, but, you know, yeah. like they have their own extreme sets of beliefs. Yeah. And they treat it like it's this, this like no big deal. Just to give the listeners a little bit of context, if you haven't watched Rami, Rami's uncle – his mother's his mother's brother mm. uh, owns a owns a jewelry shop, and they convinced Rami to go work for him because he's he lost his he job lost his job in and, a startup or something. Yes, a tech startup, and um, his his uncle is super racist <laughs> and like <laughs> hates horrible. Jewish people. Yeah, and, he's awful. Um, but I think the great thing about that character too is it's he's like a personification of the fact that no one. No person is black and white. Mm. No person, no person is completely a racist and a terrible person, and no person is completely good. You know, yeah, I think it's shades of gray. There's shades of gray. It's all shades yeah. of gray, and I think that yeah. that character in particular is very complicated. <laughs> yeah, in that regard. Yeah, but he he illustrates you know a lot of what most people might consider like the bad aspects of of the Muslim yeah. faith, but. There, there are redeeming qualities mm -hmm. in that in that person, yeah. and you see it where he he. And I apologize for spoilers, but he does try to do good, like yeah. when he tries to like help that girl who's yeah. getting um, harassed by her boyfriend, mm -hmm. and and just little things where he's trying to follow this set of of very strict rules to prove that he is worthy, to prove that he's a decent person. Mm -hmm. And let's come back to Christianity. How often do we see that? people who go to the extreme of Christianity to make sure that they follow it by the book so that they can be deemed good enough yeah. to, to get to heaven or, or to look good in their, in their community. Yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's the, I guess the, the complexity of, of being so involved and immersed in, in, I guess the, the extreme aspects of religion. Yeah. But I don't know. There's there's a lot to unpack on the show, but one of the things that I really that really stuck with me was him growing up, you know, and and him being the little brown kid in in 
his group of friends that those images really kind of bring me back to a different place mm -hmm. that where I felt uncomfortable, where I felt like I was really immersed in that journey with him because I, I had a lot of, of my own images of childhood coming back to life. But can you imagine him being a kid around that time? I think he was at the end of, uh, elementary school or middle school at that yeah, point? Yeah, he was in middle school. Middle school. When 9-11 happened. 9-11 happens. And he's just like, yeah. right in the middle of that. The only white kid in his, in his area mm -hmm. and the terrorist attacks happen and you can see his little face of confusion. And the, the kid they cast in that was just tremendous. Yeah, I he thought he did really a really good, good job. Mm -hmm. When he's just trying to worry about simple things like, you know, how do you masturbate? <laughs> or, you know, is this okay? Yeah. And, and then... 9-11 happens and it's just like yeah. the world just just falls apart yeah he's just trying to be a kid yeah there's there's a lot of really touching moments but i think the saddest moment and i don't know why this got me so much but there was that moment where his dad right after 9-11 he goes and gets the american flag mm. and then he puts it on like at the, the front of his house pole, yeah. he waves to his to his like white neighbor and his white neighbor just gives him this look like, uh-uh, mm -hmm. that's not enough. Mm -hmm. And my heart broke for the whole family in that moment because it's not something that I experienced personally or anything like that, but just that disconnect where the fear and the and sort of that that hysteria took hold of of the of the reason. And and it's almost like, okay, no, 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 you're not a human being anymore. You're the enemy. I also think it brings up the interesting dilemma that this country is facing now of what makes a good immigrant a quote-unquote good immigrant yeah what is that? you know and like you know people who you would think would be the quote-unquote exemplary immigrant you know like rami's parents it didn't matter yeah it didn't yeah. matter how well, exemplary they were look at the color of their skin and yeah. that's all you need that's to know and then you know. get you get branded, you yeah. get labeled and... Or knowing they're from the Middle East, you know, yeah. and... But it, it, it's not just all doom and gloom. I mean, I think it's a very funny show. It has, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it has great moments. They It really, like, balances out the absurd, you know, of being a young person trying to date and, mm -hmm. you know... Yeah, and that's mainly what it is. I mean, yeah. they're looking for love. Yeah. Like, him and, and I guess his, his sister, sister, too, you know, on this, at the same time, they're trying to find their way into that community and, and try to find somebody who sees them for not just, not just like this, this fetishized, mm -hmm. you know, Middle Eastern person. Mm -hmm. And that episode was pretty heartbreaking too with his sister. Yeah, where that was rough. She, you know, they, she thought that she was going to have this wonderful connection with this, uh, this guy that she met and, and it turned out to be something different, but you know, without going into spoilers too much, we highly recommend that you go and check out the show. It's a great show. Yeah. I think I heard Oscar squeaky toy. I heard a dog bark. I didn't hear that. Though. Oh, did you? Oh, okay. Uh, we just got our cat Oscar, this uh, squeaky toy. Oh, yeah. I hear it. I better hear it. get it from him. Little bastard. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to take a quick drink break. I'm going to make another drink. Um, okay. Back to it. Yeah. I think Rami definitely deserves a tink. Let's go ahead and give him a big old tink. Perfect. And uh, the next time we talk about Rami, we're probably going to have my sister Brenda, who is going to be doing some marketing for a movie in the in the near mm. future. And uh, I want to make sure that we get her on the show before she gets famous. Yeah. So 
Um, I gotta get in on the ground floor. This is an open invitation to my piece of shit sister. She better come on the show. Yeah. <laughs> Plain and simple. That's all it is. But what's the uh, what's the next item on the agenda? The second the second item on the agenda is um, seatbelts. Oh God. Do you want, do you want me to go to the uh, statistics here? Yeah. Let's see what we're at. I think it's sixty two. From the last time I looked. I'm going to go to Oil City News. The the good folks at Oil City News have some uh, devastating news for us. And we just want to take a moment to make this a public service announcement slash bitching session because this is just absurd. Yeah. Absolutely fucking crazy. So today I saw an article on Oil City News about a rollover near Rollins. One 18-year-old person died in that wreck. There were four people in the car. One of them died. The rest, I think, were just injured. Um, that 18-year-old boy was not wearing a seatbelt. Okay, so I found the article here, and um, it says, uh, From Oil City News, the Wyoming Highway Patrol has identified an 18-year-old who perished in a single-vehicle rollover accident over the weekend. He was not wearing a seatbelt, and uh, the other folks who were injured, there were four juveniles injured. And all these folks were just at the beginning of their lives. Does it say what? Usually it says. Yeah. What? Yeah. You're going to love this. This is the 62nd fatality on Wyoming's roadways in 2019 compared to 33 in 2018, 34 in 2017 and 16 in 2016. Yeah. This is fucking outrageous. Yeah. People. What is the deal? What is the deal? And we spoke about this briefly I think probably in the first or second episode that we did. But the frustrating thing about this is that there is a a sense of extreme rebellion when it comes to seatbelts in the state. And I don't know what it is where by virtue of being told what to do, people refuse to put on their seatbelts. They will not be told what to do by the government. If it's something that the government requires them to do, they will most likely go against it just to be... Just to be fucking, you know, contrarians, contrarians contrarians about this. See, I think that that's true of the older generation. I don't necessarily think that's true of the younger generation. I think the younger generation was taught by the older generation that wearing your seatbelt does not matter. Whether, Whether by action, by example, which is more likely, or by libertarian rants. I don't know that they hurt his kids. I... I really don't know what to say about this other than it infuriates me. Well, yeah, it's it, and and we can talk about this from a personal experience because we do have we do have a little bit of experience in these kinds of situations. We had a really horrible accident. Yeah, we and were It could have been worse. So we, let's start with that. We were in a rollover accident 3 years ago on I-25 coming back from Buffalo from shooting a wedding. Um we rolled we were pushed off the highway by a semi truck who didn't see us and we rolled over into the median. We only rolled one time, thankfully, and we landed on our we landed upright. Both of us were wearing our seatbelts and if we hadn't been, we wouldn't be here. We would not be here and our son would be an orphan. Yeah. It's it's difficult to talk about because I just hate that a majority of these these casualties are People at the beginning of their lives. Yeah. This is the frustrating thing that if it's an act of rebellion, please, we're asking you to stop. 
because yeah. this is not this is not um, worth it. It's not worth it at all. You know, I putting on your seatbelt is literally the least you can do to mm-hmm. prevent something bad from happening to you in a vehicle. Okay. Yeah. In Wyoming, we do a lot of highway driving just casually right. because you have to get on a highway to get from one city to another. It's part of life. It's, it's part of life. It's what you got to do. If you live here, you have to be used to driving long stretches of road. You have to pay attention. It's going to be boring sometimes, yeah. but it's it's something that, that you have to be used to. And that means, you know, when we were in college driving back and forth between Casper and Laramie or Evanston and Laramie or mm-hmm. wherever, there's a lot of young people between the ages of 18 and 25 mm-hmm. that are on the highways regularly. Right. And it's baffling to me that those people, that that demographic is also not wearing their seatbelt. It's one thing if you're like an old dog and you've never worn your seatbelt and, you know, whatever, that's fine. If that's the way you want to live your life, you've made it this far and you haven't died. Good for you. Yeah. But if you're 18 and you're daring to drive 90 miles an hour on a two-lane highway with your cell phone in your goddamn hand... And you're not wearing your seatbelt, you're asking for it. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. Yeah. You guys just got to be careful. You got to be careful out there. And it doesn't take much to be safe, to be prepared. And while I know that we don't like to be told what to do, and it's even worse coming from the government, please take a moment to consider that your life is worth more than that inconvenience. Young people, and I was guilty of this when I was young as well, you feel invincible. Yeah. You feel overly confident that nothing bad could possibly happen to you because you're 18 and you've got your whole life ahead of you. And and you're right. You do have your whole life ahead of you. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that you are exempt, that you are immune from because something bad happening to you. Anything could happen. A fucking deer could jump out in front of you, mm-hmm. you know, and you wouldn't see it. We were minding our business when we got hit by that by that truck. We were minding our own business, having the time of our life. We thought the we were five minutes away from home. Yeah, we were really close. And and that shit just came out of the blue. Yeah. So never say never. Yeah. If you have an opportunity to be prepared, do it. It's the easiest thing in the world. Just yeah. put it on. That's all you have yeah. to do. And it might save your life. And I remember not giving a shit about it when I was a kid. So it's, you know, I'm lucky that I learned my lesson early when why, I met you. Why was that? Explain that to me. Because I, I didn't come from a, a town as small as Evanston. It was very small and we didn't have to drive very far. But I think it was just the complete negligence of the fact that, that you know, my my mom told me to do it. But I probably chose to ignore her because that's what teenagers do. Did your friends wear their seatbelts? Uh, I know that um, that Bob used to, mm-hmm. um, Ryan. Yeah, just when we were feeling wild, I guess. I'm just, but, I'm just you wondering know, if it's like peer pressure or if it's just. I think it was just upbringing negligence. It wasn't something that they thought about, so they just let it go. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Whatever. I mean, if you remember, sure, that's fine. But I was fortunate to have enough people in my life who did it where I was just like, okay, this is a shitty habit. I have to get better at doing it. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was something that I trained myself to do. Mm-hmm. Just buckle up. Mm-hmm. And I got it from you too, where, you know, yeah, anywhere would, you went, you just buckled your seatbelt. I would yell at you for yes. not doing it. 
<laughs> well, now the cars yell at you too. So yeah, that's you true. don't have an excuse. Yeah. Can you imagine driving for like six hours with that fucking blinking? Yeah, but you uh, know what people do? What? They buckle it behind them. Oh. So that oh. they don't have to wear it. Christ's sake. <laughs> that's like going the extra mile to say fuck you to the government. Like, really, dude? All you have to do is put it over your lap instead of behind you. Is it yeah. really that big of an inconvenience to put on yeah. your... S- I don't get it. Yeah. Anyway. I saw, I saw that you commented on, on the Oil City News article. And yeah. you were like, what the fuck is wrong with people in like, this state? Why does no one wear their goddamn seatbelts in this state? Yeah. I did, don't get it. Did you get a whole bunch of people? No. like? <laughs> I was waiting for it. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't imagine say- I'm the only one that feels that way. Yeah, seriously. It's not. It's not out of malice. I'm not... I'm not saying people are dumb for not doing it. I'm not saying that. You're just asking why. I'm just going, <laughs> what is the matter? Like, yeah. why is it such a big deal to not work? I don't, I don't get it. The reasons that I can think of are not good enough. It doesn't make any goddamn sense. It doesn't sense. make sense. It doesn't make sense. So just wear your fucking seatbelt. Just do it. <laughs> and I think we have to sign off the podcast every single time with buckle the fuck up. Yeah. Can you imagine how jaded and like just fed up like law enforcement must be about it like oh, probably those poor like highway patrolmen that have to respond to all those accidents and see yeah. dead teenagers on the highway like yeah. they must be so like just completely yeah jaded and about what's it. really striking about this is that i'm not just talking about a gradual increase in negligence this is this is doubled yeah. in a year yeah i don't why? In one year. Why? I don't I want to know why. Granted, I mean this this is not just for not buckling up. I mean I mean you're taking into account here um truck drivers who get tired and sure. fall asleep, drunk driving, texting and driving, sure. a plethora of different issues here that have to be addressed, but but I bet you that buckling up is the one thing that you can do immediately that can give you a better chance of survival. Yeah. In any of these situations. Yeah. So please consider it, folks. That's all we're trying to say. Because I don't want to have to fucking rant about this again. Mm-hmm. Your life is more important than, you know, wasting three or five seconds to to buckle up. God damn it. I'm not going to tank to 62 fatalities. It's May. It's May. Like, we're not even halfway through the year. What a fucking bummer, man. Yeah. What a fucking bummer. I don't know. You kind of hope that thing, like the tide changes, you know, as uh, as younger people come of age, you know, come of driving age. But I don't know. I worry with like the prevalence of not wearing a seatbelt in small communities, you know, rural communities. It's like you don't think that would correlate to like affluence or education level or I mean, everybody knows you're supposed to wear your seatbelt. Well, I don't. You know, and this is the the thing. I'm not sure whether it would be affected by by income level or or affluence. And you then you have the people finding stuff. Then you just have like those people who are like, "Well, you could get injured worse with wearing your seatbelt." Like, what the fuck? That okay. is the stupidest argument I've ever heard. <laughs> Yo, well, you could still get cancer even if you don't smoke cigarettes. So. Might as oh, well just man. do it. I was really hoping you'd say, well, I heard you get cancer from seatbelts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's an argument. Well, I saw it on a YouTube video. There's plastic in the seatbelt that causes <laughs> chest cancer. All right. I give up. All right. You do that. <laughs> I'm not tinking to this. I'm not tinking to 62 highway fatalities in 
five months. I'm not tinking to people not wearing their seatbelt. We should move on. That sounds like a plan. Let's move on. So, folks, please remember, this is your life in your hands. Her life is in your hands, dude. No tink to that. Mm-hmm. Item number three is supposed to get us back on track to a much happier mood. And whenever we do that, we like to go back in time. Every now and then we feel that it's important to look back on the formative elements of our youth and maybe showcase some of the things that we really, really loved back in the day. Because, you know, who doesn't like to be nostalgic and rose-tinted? I know I do. <laughs> all day, every day, right? Yeah. I'll be like, when I'm old and I lose all my hair, I'll be like, do you remember when I had hair? <laughs> That's pretty great. That's great. Also, I'm never going to lose my hair. No. Have a. a <laughs> They're going to bury you with hair. Yeah, strong genetics. Yeah. They're going to dig you up in 50 years and your skull will still have hair. My hair is really going to be the only thing that's left. <laughs> I was like, oh, that motherfucker never drank milk, but his hair looks good. (laughs) But we're going to talk about an album that is very dear and close to our hearts. That is the Great Foo Fighters album, There Is Nothing Left to Lose. I'm going to take you guys back to (laughs) the summer of 2001 or 2002. I can't remember. It would have been the summer before eighth grade for me. Hmm. I was playing a lot of GoldenEye on N64 <laughs> with my best friend then in middle school. And I was introduced by my dad, of all people, to the Foo Fighters. Well, and we got to give a shout out to Gramps Mike because he seems to have a great, great sense of, of musical musical taste. My dad's cool as shit. But yeah, he, he like, is. He has good Okay, you got to give a preface of, of Gramps Mike. I mean, the man knows Kung Fu. He does. What the fuck, man? Like, he's a punk, shout out. He was a punk ass kid who knew Kung Fu. He used to jump off of the, the monitor speakers at concerts into the crowd. He saw the Pink Floyd The Wall concert in the 70s. He was a surfer. Mm-hmm. And he terrified me when I saw his wall of blades. And <laughs> yeah, my dad has an extensive and collection of knives. kung fu weapons, weaponry. <laughs> and when I was a kid, he displayed them on the wall in the basement <laughs> and uh, frequently scared the few boys I brought home. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but yeah, so my dad, you know, he was... He was listening to, like, punk in the 70s and, like, the early 80s. And then, like, when grunge took over in, like, the early 90s, he was, like, into Nirvana and Pearl Jam and, like, all that stuff. And uh, the Foo Fighters, you know, their first album came out in, like, 95 or 94. It wasn't long after yeah. Nirvana was no more. Um, And then, yeah, and so my dad... Um, I guess he must have bought the album for me. Oh, um, yeah? There's nothing left to lose. Maybe for my birthday or something. I don't remember. Hmm. But um, yeah, he was definitely the one who was like, this is a band that you should listen to. <laughs> and that album opened up my small <laughs> it blew middle your mind. mind. It blew yeah. your mind. It was pretty, pretty crazy. And I listened to that album for, I've been listening to that album for 20 years. Yeah. 15 years. I think, and and I'm really proud of this for whatever reason, that had we been in the same place around that time, we would have been in love back then. You think so? Like, I shit you not, I would have been, like, down on one knee in middle school because I was so desperate for love and affection Mm -hmm. that I was just like, you know, 
you're overestimating great. my cool factor, my, my coolness <laughs> level. But like, she's wearing fishnets. Never mind. Uh, that was high school, but yeah, oh, okay. I had, <laughs> yeah, I had I had pretty good music taste, even. Yeah, but the Foo, the Foo Fighters was great because they they came at the right time for me, and I remember my my biggest thing that I used to do, and this is where I found. Um, Radiohead and Jamiroquai and all those bands that I wasn't supposed to be listening to because it was like too loud music for for my household. But uh, <laughs> I I would come home and I would watch uh, MTV Two where they played the good stuff because that was really and if you really think about it, like in the late nineties and the early two thousands was where MTV started doing the shift from rock to to dance and hip hop, mm-hmm. and by that point the the main MTV was doing more like TRL and they were playing more of the hip hop stuff and MTV two got relegated to having all of the alternative acts. So one of my favorite bands, you know, when I was, when I was, uh, when I would come home would be to catch Chris Cornell, Soundgarden, the Foo Fighters, a lot of the British music that was coming out, like, uh, like blur, Mm. you know, they, they were putting out a lot of their stuff at that time. And I remember when this album first came out, there was nothing left to lose. I had already been listening to them for a while and I would go look for them at the pawn shop because that was the only place where I'd be able to find like cheap CDs where I could just kind of take home and, and uh, get them at a good deal. And I think there was nothing left to lose really solidified my love for this band and how just innovative and amazing Dave Grohl is. He really knows how to fucking write a great anthem, a great song that really kind of like gets the people going which is why they they've used a lot of their their songs for like political campaigns. Like they had a, um, I think I remember um, he told like George Bush not to use uh, times like these. Mm. He was like, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, dude, you're not gonna don't do that." Uh, uh-uh. yeah, W, and <laughs> that couldn't be HW. They weren't a band then, right? Um, but there was nothing left to lose. Came out in November second, nineteen ninety nine, and shortly thereafter, that was around the time when I started. Uh, listening to that album and there are some songs that if i close my eyes and i'm listening to it i go back to that time where i was just kind of watching the interstate go in evanston and pass by you know the the more the more imprinted memories that i have of that town are very transient feeling memories of of the interstate because the the duplex where we used to live when I was growing up overlooked the the interstate, and that was the the big image that was always in my mind. Like everyone got to go somewhere except me, you know. Mm. So typical, like teenager. Yeah, yeah. I mean, thoughts. I don't get to do anything fun. Yeah, all this fucking. Sucks. I don't get to go to Park City like those people <laughs> going like west on I eighty. All the rich kids in Evanston go skiing. <laughs> And snowboarding, well, snowboarding was the big thing. Yeah. Everyone's fucking snowboarding and Tony Hawk and the X Games. <laughs> and I'm just sitting here fucking getting fat. <laughs> and then, like, I'd have some comfort ah, food. Like, Give me some tortillas. <laughs> I'm hurting right now. Give me some frozen burritos. Yeah, that was that was my meal. Throwback to uh, frozen burritos back in uh, back in middle school. I love those too. <laughs> but there is nothing left to lose. Uh, God damn, like, like the tracks are lively. It's super exciting and the production value is amazing. And I walked around with that tape because I got it on cassette tape. Mm. I walked around with that on my Walkman mm-hmm. anywhere and everywhere. See, I never, 
I don't remember if I just didn't have access to it or I just didn't watch it, but I didn't watch MTV two. Not at all. So not that I can remember. Oh. Um, so I don't, I'm assuming my dad got me that album. I'm pretty sure he did. And I actually had a stereo that I got for, I don't know, Christmas, a few years before that. It was like a big, you know, uh, stereo system with like a six or like a three or four CD changer and like big speakers, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it was like my prized possession at yeah. that point in my life. And like, um, hands off yeah, to your brother. My brother's like, get out of here. Don't touch my stereo. <laughs> like I would like hoard the remote so they get out of Shut up nerds. Yeah. And so like, you know, I would just like sit in my room and I have vivid memories of sitting in my room with that on either in headphones or just listening to it. And I always, I was, like, obsessed with learning the lyrics to music. Mm -hmm. And so I would sit with, like, the CD book open, you know, to the lyric book and just, like, sing along, you know, with the, you know, along with the lyrics. And yeah. Like, um, yeah. So I don't know. That was, like, I don't really have memories of, like, listening to it in a discman or I'm sure I did that. But mostly what I did was sit in my room and. And mope. And mope. Yeah. <laughs> There, there's a lot of great tracks like you know stacked actors is, is like lively as hell um there's there's a lot of um tenderness but there's also excitement in some of the tracks but what changed from there's nothing left to lose is there there's like um it feels more ethereal kind of mm. you know like the electric guitar just feels more effortless there's there's just a kind of magic happening it feels like like kind of like um like golden hour you know, before the sun goes down. Mm. That's the whole feeling that I got of this album mm -hmm. where, where you, you were taking a moment before the day was over to feel, to feel things out. Mm -hmm. Like, what did you do today? How did it go? And where are you going to go tomorrow? It was that kind of feeling the whole way. But the one thing that I thought was curious was that, uh, the song Aurora mm -hmm. was one of my favorite songs and it taught, I, I had no context of what it was. I didn't know what they were singing about. And for about 10 years, I didn't know. And one day when we were living in Seattle at that time, seven years ago, we're driving down Aurora. Mm -hmm. We went to get food on the north end, you know, like right by, you know, by uh, past... Uh, like in Shoreline? Past Shoreline. Mm. We were all the way past it. We went to get like fucking shakes at Arby's or something. Mm. And we said, I remember you telling me, well, just turn here so that we can go back down. Mm -hmm. And that's when I was like, <laughs> I looked at you and I and I was like, that's what fucking Dave Grohl was singing about this whole time. <laughs> it's like a 20 year mystery getting yeah. solved right there as yeah. I was driving down Aurora. And it completely blew my mind. And it, I got like that warm feeling in my heart, like, this was a sign, yeah. you know, and I started believing in faith in the cosmos again. <laughs> <laughs> and like, like some piece of my life had been fulfilled. It was, it was really awesome. Mm -hmm. But now the, the track has definitely more meaning to me. Mm -hmm. And we've been fortunate to see the Foo Fighters, what, uh, three or four times mm -hmm. now? That's been like our go-to band. Yeah, we've seen them for sure. I think the only band I've seen more is Death Cab for Cutie. Yeah, that was the first concert I ever went to. 
Death Cab? No. Or Foo Fighters? The Foo Fighters. Oh, yeah. 2005, yeah. the Foo Fighters were touring with Weezer. Mm. So I saw Weezer and the Foo Fighters at the Pepsi Center in Denver. How was that? It was awesome. It was a really good first now, concert. You better tread lightly here because we can't talk or say any ill will about Weezer. Mm, heaven because uh, a contingent of about 50% of the world will come down on us mm. right now so we got to play it safe mm. i like the blue album i do like the blue album okay let's move on <laughs> no they were great at both bands yeah, it yeah. was i actually kind of find it funny now that they toured together but it made sense at the time yeah but it must have been a hell of a concert i'm sure it really it must was have been pretty awesome yeah it was awesome yeah so if you get a chance go and check out uh there's nothing left to lose by the Foo Fighters. That is a uh, our kids asleep pick. Tink. What do you think? Let's tink. There we go. Hell yes. They've had a lot of albums since then. Yeah, we haven't been able to keep up. I've listened to the newest album way more than I've listened to any in the past like five years. Mm-hmm. But yeah. anyway. I think between between uh, like after one by one and. And concrete and gold. Mm-hmm. There were some patchy moments, you know, where I. Um, I can still listen to them. A lot of them are still on my rotation, but they're, they still don't feel like yeah. as impactful as something like there's nothing left to lose or the color and the shape. Yeah. Cause those were really the big, yeah. the big ones that did it for me. Mm-hmm. But in any case, Dave Grohl, our savior perched atop the cloud with Sir Nicholas Cage. Can I get like a How holy tri- Can I get like a holy trinity where where I have like Nick Cage, Dave Grohl and then somebody yet to be determined uh up there? Maybe you could put a shrine up here as you come in. I think that'd be really good hmm. for the house. Maybe? Okay, we'll we'll talk about it. We'll think about it, but um do you have anything else that you want to add? And while you're thinking about this, I just wanted to do a final shout out. Today's show has been brought to you by Grapefruit Juice and Tequila. Uh, <laughs> and Dos Equis. And Dos Equis. No, no mo- Modelo. Sorry. Babe, how dare you? Sorry. Modelo. Modelo. Modelo beer. We kind of decided Especial. to switch it. We still had a lot of leftover um, beer and uh, tequila from our last uh, our last gathering. So we figured we'd, we'd try that in lieu of wine. But it's always a good time here. Uh, also, just as a reminder, please subscribe to the podcast, rate the podcast, review the podcast. It helps us tremendously. You can email us at ourkidsasleep at gmail.com. Let us know if there's something that you, you want us to talk about. Or uh, if you're a friend of the show and you'd like to come on also, you're welcome to do so. Because uh, we love talking with you. Yeah. So we're going to let you go, guys. It is uh, almost 11 o'clock at night. And uh, we're going to go sleep because we're old. <laughs> so thank you for listening. And have a wonderful week or weekend whenever you're listening to the show. Good night, guys. <laughs>